All right, Clark Smith, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. It's been a long time coming, actually. Yeah, I know we tried a bit in January, but we had some trouble. So glad it's working now. Yeah, listen, man, you're just one of those um, superstar athletes that I've always wanted to talk to. Um, you just uh, I I've got to know you personally through working at Fitter and Faster uh, for the past couple of years. I mean, you're just an outstanding clinician all around, but um, the reviews you get are just off the charts. I mean, people love coming to your clinics. They love working with you. What is it? And I think I was at one of your first clinics too, maybe. Um, and I've and I've seen the growth and the progression of you. So, um, you know, when you first start teaching kids and trying to relate your story and maybe relate your experiences, what are what are the, some of the things where you, you were challenged at first and where you've found some growth in yourself and now you're you're getting these reviews where you're able to really connect with kids on a deeper level. Uh, for me personally, I think I just had my social skills improve dramatically. So it's something that's helped me a lot. And then when you work with other people within the sport, you learn things from them and pick up skills that you didn't necessarily have when you competed. So I kind of wish I knew the things I knew now, like 10 years ago, a lot of drills and technique. I, I didn't really think I could change with my stroke so easily. And there are things that I, I picked up like I think my crossover turn has gotten better the last three or four years than it was at any point when I actually swam. So little pieces like that definitely help when you work with other people. I remember our first clinic together was at Cleveland State, I remember. And yeah. you get to go to these cool facilities and historic pools all around the country and you know work with athletes that are just ex just ecstatic to be in the sport. Um, and it's really refreshing because when you swim past college, I think things can get a little bit stale. So it's nice to have that excitement kind of brought back into the sport. And, when you see things click with someone when they learn something new, that's when it's, I think, the most rewarding for the most part. Like I said, I love I love to see growth in people. I've, I've definitely seen that growth in you as, as a teacher, as a clinician for Fitter and Faster. But, you know, one of the things that really impresses me about you is that you, you're able to turn really technical, complex information and kind of spoon feed it to the kids so they can understand it and they – they don't feel like they're being talked down to. They don't feel like they're being talked over their heads. So how have you taken that those complex drills and skills and being able to communicate those to kids? I, I really enjoy working with like 13 and unders, 11 and unders, the younger kids and, and teaching them things that are really advanced. Um, and the easiest way to do that is just to go through each motion. It's almost a little bit monotonous, but I think when you come towards the end of a clinic and you kind of put things together and, and mesh it all at once it, it comes easy. And I always say, I don't expect you to master this in a day. And that's something I always liked about Eddie is that he always took the pressure off of you and you never really expected to do a lot in the day to day. And that made you want to improve. So I think when you say something along the lines of, it doesn't really matter if you perfect this, I think that makes kids more motivated to actually do it mm. a bit of reverse psychology in a way, I think. Mm, right right well listen man i was going through your career um earlier just kind of looking at it a snapshot from a distance and you, you've just had an incredible career it's been um fascinating um one of the one of the really fascinating points about you too is that not only did you swim at texas but both of your parents swam at texas right they did yeah my mom in 84 to 87 and then my dad 81 to 84 and they both met i think his senior her freshman year and then I've always been kind of surrounded by that team culture, even though I didn't swim there until like 2013, 2014. So was your dad right before Eddie then? He, he wasn't coached by Eddie? He was coached in 1981. He was a part of the first national title. And then my mom was part of that decade where Texas women won like 10 years in a row. It was like a monopoly. Oh, wow. Okay. And then your mom actually went on to um, represent America at the Olympics in 84, right? Yeah, she did. Um Growing up, I'd always heard that she qualified for the Olympic team in late eight, and apparently that's it's pretty rare to do to to kind of barely qualify for a final and end up making the team. So I don't know if she expected to make it, but yeah, she was. I mean, she was there. So always someone I looked up to growing up. What were their events? Dad was a tuner freestyler, tuner diameter. Mom was hundred tuner backstroke. Okay, so you kind of get. I, I guess you get the. The genes, a little bit of genes from both of them. You get the length. I mean, you're six foot nine. Is that, is that common in your family? Are you big for your family? 
I don't know. My sister is about six two, six three, and then I have another sister who's younger, is about five eleven. So, yeah, that's it's something that I kind of hit the genetic lottery with. I can attribute any success I have in sport to that. Dad's six foot four. Okay, so six nine. I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, you really grew. Was there was there a time where it was going to be something else, maybe even like a basketball or something? I thought about quitting at 13, but I didn't have any other sports that I knew I could be as good at. I loved skateboarding as a kid, but I knew I'd never be a Tony Hawk or make an X game or anything like that. <laughs> so it was never you never got pulled into kind of being on the basketball team in high school? Nah, I wasn't really athletic for my size. Um, I was just kind of long and lanky. So was swimming, obviously swimming's in your genes and the family. How did you end up getting into it where your parent did your parents push you into it or were you kind of guided into it um i was definitely directed into it i don't remember when i started um all i remember is when i was younger i didn't want to take off those little water wings you get on your arms because i was kind of terrified of the water for a few years but <laughs> after that yeah i was always just swimming and i always knew it was something kind of that would take care of me in a sense if i put in the work to some degree as far as college goes so it's something i'm glad that i stuck with but it's definitely a hard sport to kind of get through those early age group years because it's such an individual sport and it can be kind of lonely in a way, even though if you're part of a club team, it's not something where you're supported strongly by a lot of friends. You either want to do it for yourself or you get forced to do it and there's really no in between. What, what were your events kind of before you got to Texas? What were you really good at? My high school sweethearts were like the 100 fly, 100 free. Those were my favorite events. And Oh, man. When I got recruited, Eddie told me he'd put me in the 50, 100 free, 100 fly at NCAAs. And I don't know what happened. Dude, at six foot nine, if you come in as a 100 freestyle, you're staying 100 freestyle at Auburn University. I can tell you that. So, uh, yeah, wow. I made a mistake, obviously. <laughs> so, was it always Texas, though? Was, uh, you know, your parents went there, but was it always a given for you that you were going to go there? Yeah. I mean, if I was fast enough, obviously I wasn't going to get in there just by my parents' merits. I wanted to get in there, you know, by my own. But um, it's it was always the goal to swim for Eddie. And when I was being recruited, I thought he was going to retire in a year or two. He ended up <laughs> staying around, and he's still coaching. So I'm I'm thankful I had the opportunity to swim for him. I would have settled for just one or two years just to get a taste of what it was like because he's such a le legend in the sport in a way. Uh I mean, what was the recruiting process like for you then? Um, had you known Eddie before that personally, or was this the kind of the first time you were meeting him at that point? I had known Eddie. I'd gone to like the Longhorn Swim Camps as an age group swimmer. And then towards middle school and high school, I would go to Texas like with the swim camp, but I'd train with the team. And that made it legal under the NCAA. So I got a real taste of college swimming at that, I guess, facility and with that program. And it was exactly what I wanted, so I was really just waiting around, ready to sign from you know middle school onward. I don't know if that's completely legal. We'll we'll pretend it is. <laughs> Probably at this point, who cares? But yeah, I was under yeah, the guise of like Longhorn Camp, but I got to train with the, the college team, which was an awesome experience. I doubt you can get away with that now. Yeah, no, you can. But like, uh, so all right, so you're at the Longhorn Swim Camp. You're training with the college guys. Who were the guys there at that point that were making an impression on you? Oh, God. I was with Kathleen Hersey and Ricky Behrens, and Kathleen was so fast. I, I didn't expect it from her. I mean, she trained like she was like a 420 in the 500. I think she was a tuna flyer, but I was just struggling to stay with her. I'm like, I can't get beat by a girl, and she'd pick my ass. And then <laughs> I did an 800 behind Ricky Behrens, and he lapped me, and it was the scariest 800 I think I've ever swum. <laughs> I was like 14, just trying to hang on for my life. So Ricky had no problem in kind of just humiliating you, just beating you up at that point. <laughs> oh, he was friendly. I think that was right after they'd won NCAAs and he was showing me the ring design. And I'm like, yeah, you're definitely persuading me to come here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was an easy get then. Did you even bother trying to look at other schools? Did you go on any other recruiting trips? I did. I went to the University of Michigan on a recruiting trip and I... Uh, met Mike Bottom. I really liked the facility and liked the guys a lot, but I think Texas just felt like home for me. So yeah, nothing yeah. against the program. They'd won NCAAs that year. So, I mean, they were the cream of the crop when I was being recruited. Yeah. Now, listen, man, like I said, looking at your, uh, <laughs> your rap sheet here from freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, it is all over the place. So mm -hmm. 
a lot to learn here. And, and I, I think we can kind of go year by year and take away the things that you did learn and maybe the things that you're reflective on now. You come in in your freshman year, both your parents from Texas, you've been recruited for years by Eddie. You come in and from what I can tell, you don't even qualify for NCAAs your first year. So what's that freshman year experience like for you? I never really figured it out. I just, it was an adjustment in training. I don't really think I was doing enough volume. I came from swimming at altitude to swimming at sea level and it felt easy. I don't think I got much stronger or much faster because I wasn't going hard enough. Um, so I think towards big 12s, I just went in my normal events, didn't qualify. And then at NCAAs, I watched us lose in our home pool and that was, that was pretty rough, but it was a good experience, you know, just dealing with, you know, disappointment, knowing how to manifest that into something positive. So you're sitting up in the stands freshman year, not at the meet, but, but at the meet. And was it Cal that won that year? Yeah, that was painful to watch. I mean, not only losing in your own pool, but not even qualifying for the meet and then watching your team lose and part of it being your fault. So something I probably the biggest disappointment in my, my career was that meet right there. Oh, wow. So you took that personal. Oh, yeah. I mean, we lost by a deficit of points. I probably could have made up if I performed the way I was supposed to. It was pretty close between, I don't even know, 30 or 50 points. So it would have been a lot closer if I had done what I was supposed to do. So taking it personally then, I mean, other than just feeling like maybe you didn't train hard enough, were there, were there anything else that you, you took from that year that kind of spurred you into the next year? Um, I became a bit neurotic and just kind of just told myself I'm not going to take a day off. And to a degree that helped. I, I started training a bit more. I think towards the end of the year, I got put with a guy named Michael McBroom. Um, and he's someone who's really helped me through my career. I, I credit all of my success in any race above a 200 to him. I really learned how to train from from him. And he was like, I think, second in the world in the 800 at that point that year. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I kind of just latched onto him and put a target on his back in workouts. And then I came in on my own on Sundays and, and trained a bit. And the next year I saw a dramatic amount of improvement from my times in high school and freshman year. Wow. Interesting. Uh, you, you said you, you learned some things from him other than just that he was a hard worker. Were there any other takeaways that you can really pinpoint that you could share with us? Well, I think it kind of built off that. He just never complained in workouts and he went hard on everything. Uh -huh. I know we used to do like eight one hundreds for warm up every day for like two or three years straight. And some days we'd come in and hold 53s on those hundreds for warm up, and that would be the slowest we went for the entire workout. Like it was <laughs> at the point where, like, you were almost having a panic attack on the wall, but you're trying to hide because you're breathing so hard for like two hours. <laughs> so that kind of hardens you a little bit. And this isn't coming from Eddie. Eddie's not saying, hey, guys, I want you to attack these first eight 100s. This is coming internally from the team. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, Chris and Eddie would probably yell at us to slow down, especially during, you know, meets where we we're supposed to be resting a little bit but i mean that that's still part of the team culture right now i mean the fosters are the guys who are carrying that out right now i remember them they're holding the same times and warm-up and then just maintaining that and going faster for the rest of the workout so it's it's a good it's a good kind of intensity it's not a burnout intensity so is that part of the secret then to texas and maybe eddie's recruiting is finding like-minded people that can work with each other and push each other i mean you seem you seem like you fit into that culture really well i think you're always going to have guys on teams that just train like wimps but i think for the most part i mean yeah it's it's a culture where you want to work hard and it's not a culture where you're expected to eddie never really will give you a set that you can't do i think he always sets the bar a little bit low and then in workouts he just sees what you can do and most of the time you're going to exceed the expectations mm. Is that part of it for you too? Was there a part of that of like, I've let Eddie down my freshman year. I I, I don't want to let him down again. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I felt really bad about it, but Eddie's very forgiving. And whenever you don't swim well, he's someone who will take the blame, even when it was clearly my fault. Um, so I don't know if that's the hallmark of a good coach is like placing the blame on yourself. And I don't know if that alleviates some of the pressure on the athletes, but that's what I seem to take away from my experience. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, -T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com.
Vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years. Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. Right. All right. So you said you got a little neurotic. You're even doing some work on Sundays. You're coming in, you're pushing warm-ups and that's the slowest you go in all practice. So then sophomore year, from what I can tell you, you do have a great year and you you win the 500 at um, NCAAs, correct? Yeah, that was a bit unexpected, but it was a nice drop. I, I appreciated that race. So you go from not qualifying, sitting in the stands to actually winning the race. That's a massive turnaround in 12 months, man. Yeah, I, I was a bit surprised with that, but um, I mean, I was swimming with such a good team, and that was kind of the start of that, I don't know, four, five-year streak that Texas had, and I was happy to be a part of it, and we had guys like Jack and Joe, this is the point where they were starting to claw away at the American records in the 100, 200 fly, so I mean, I was watching what they were doing from across the pool, and Lacone was starting to come into his own on the 400 and the 200 breast, and they just kind of swept those events against AA's, and then that hundred fly that year, I remember they put five or six guys up in the top eight, and the meet was felt kind of over after that point. the The whole stands became silent, and I don't know. It's kind of a another era of dominance from Texas men's swimming. So it was cool to be a part of. Okay, so apart from the personal side, where you take that on yourself, how does Eddie turn around a team that he knows underperformed the previous year, and he's got He's got the talent. He's got the guys. What is it from your perspective that Eddie did well that year to kind of turn turn the things around for you? He'll probably mention something along the lines of, it was my fault. I didn't rest you enough. Um, he's never going to really place the blame on athletes directly, and he never really shows anger. I, I don't really think I've ever seen him actually mad before. If he has been, he hides it really well. Um, I think he takes more pride in having athletes improve and that in turn will get, you know, the success from national champions and whatever else you want out of your swimmers. So I think he remembers times and is more analytical about the sport than actual, you know, chasing rings. He'll always say something aligns of, I don't know where my, my rings are, but um, he'll, he'll remember your splits from a race from like 10 years ago. So that's kind of who he is. So Eddie knows he has a team that can win, but he's not necessarily talking about winning? No, he's talking more along the lines of hitting the times because if you swim the race that you want, the meet will take care of itself. Right. I think for the most part. Right, right. What about in terms of recruiting? You know, you you, you mentioned guys on your team like the schoolings and, and these types of people. How are you guys handling the recruiting? How do you get the talent that you need each year to come through and and – you know, I mean, obviously, there's guys like you who are just, you're probably going to come to Texas. But it, it, the ones that are kind of on the fence and they've got, you know, they're looking at Cal, they're looking at Michigan. What are you guys doing recruiting-wise to kind of pull those guys into your team? That's a good question. I mean, there's I mean, Chris Cubitt and Wyatt always did a really good job of, you know, relating to a lot of the recruits. But I think to a degree, the legacy that Eddie's had with the program kind of speaks for itself. And he's... he's I don't know, as close as you can get to like the Yoda of the sport. I'm, mm. If you have the opportunity to swim for him, I, I would take it. Um, it's, it's hard to explain it. There's a different atmosphere on deck. It doesn't feel like you're being coached in a way. And partly because a lot of what Eddie talks about isn't really swimming to a degree. So you don't really get burned out in a sense. Mm, yeah uh, i like that where you talk where you said that he never got angry i don't know how he pulled that off but um he's good for the most, most patient person i've ever met he's like a a monk in a way yeah 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 that's a good good correlation yeah kind of monk-like yeah for sure yes he <laughs> he's amazing i love when he grabs your hand too and he pulls you in you know and, and kind of like you you feel connected to eddie when you speak to eddie don't you yeah it's, it's the worst at the end of a race because he'll he's, he may be old, but he's got a death grip. So he'll get you by your arm and you're really tight. And you're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, listen, um, sophomore year wasn't all, um, you know, success. You, you did. It's, I've, I could tell that you had a disqualification at NCAAs. And you, you were telling me that you even got disqualified 
at the conference championship in the 200 butterfly apparently you touch you turned with a one-handed turn now we don't teach this at clinics clock so we definitely what, don't. what did you learn here at conference i think it was a one-hand turn but i think at NCAAs it was i hit with two hands but it was too quick so Moral of the story, you need to make it obvious to the officials that you're hitting the wall with both hands. And I should have known by then I was 19. That's, I, but you should be doing that five, 10 years before you're my age when that happens. So yeah, not my proudest moment. Well, how do you rectify something like that? If It seems like that's kind of like a habitual thing, like something that may be in your training. So do you have to then go back and address it in your training? I think so. I think with butterfly in particular, I'm so focused on just trying to stay conditioned and keep my stroke in shape on top of the water. When I get to the walls, I use it as rest and you shouldn't be using your walls to recover. Your walls are where you accelerate. Mm -hmm. And that's where I got lazy on my fly. And as a result, I didn't end up on that race in the last day of the meet. And I got shifted to another very fun race that everyone loves to watch. So you hadn't swam the 1650 before your sophomore year or what's what was going on with this race i didn't i saw it once when i was 12 i think okay so then because of the disqualification eddie says well now you're swimming the 1650 or it didn't happen like that well not necessarily no it wasn't like a punishment or anything <laughs> um eddie has this meet where he has like odd events he calls it the eddie reese invite and right. i did like a 2000 free i think chris kubik nominated me to swim a 2000 as a joke and i was like all right whatever and i, I did okay in it and he wanted to put me in the mile at uh, our invitation that we had in December. And I go, I don't know if I can last a whole mile. I'll just go like a thousand for a split and see how that goes. And it went well. And then from there on out, I was just in distance group chronically. <laughs> That's not the place you want to end up, man. You want to end up in sprint group. Okay. So figure That's out the just, 50. In that. <laughs> I was trying to go in that direction. But I didn't do a very good job, obviously. I have heard uh, there's kind of, you know, these this folklore about you and, and, and who you are and how good you are. But people often say you're the hardest trainer that they've ever met. And that's coming from the top of the top. I mean, people that are at the top level who've been around the best. I mean, hands down, you're the guy that comes back as the hardest trainer anyone's ever met. Do you know that about yourself? Do you feel that about yourself? I don't think I suffered the way a lot of, you know, like walk-ons on the team did. I think there's differences between being a good trainer and being a hard worker. Um, I don't really know if I ever really got to the point where I felt like I couldn't do a set, but I, I, that's the way I felt it. I think you judge someone's work ethic based on how hard they're breathing. And I don't think I really ever felt truly challenged to the point where I thought I was going to fail out of like a workout or anything along those lines. I think oh, I trained well relative to how I raised. Oh, that's incredible too, to think that you're at that level at Texas and you can't be challenged in a way that you feel like you're failing. I mean, that that's pretty extraordinary. Well, I didn't really, it wasn't easy, but it, I wasn't at the point where I didn't think I couldn't do this. Um, I, I don't really have an answer for that. I don't really think I'm that tough, to be honest. I think I just got really lucky genetically. <laughs> Well, that's what I mean. Uh, is there what, what's the the balance here then? I mean, you you are a hard trainer, but there's obviously some genetic gifts that you have. So, where where is it in in the the whole grand scheme of things for you? Do you look at it as like I'm just genetically gifted, or I'm a hard worker, or I've got a combination of two? Where is it for you? I would love to believe that it relies more on hard work, but at the end of the day, I mean, if I think if you want to get, you know, to the top of the sport i think you're relying so much on talent unfortunately i mean swimming is a sport where you get out what you put in but there are limits to a certain extent so i mean if you're like five feet tall the odds of you breaking you know a world record in a men's 50 freestyle are pretty low so mm -hmm. you have to know your limitations to a degree so what else other than the the height six nine genetically and the fact that you can handle work where where do you feel like your gifts are did you just not feel pain did you just have an inc incredible vo2 max um did you have a low heart rate i mean what is it genetically other than things that we can just visibly see that you felt like you had gifts with um i think i had an okay stroke um i was taught by swimmers how to swim from a young age so i think that helped me I never experienced any injuries, and I think that was a testament to not pulling or kicking the wrong way. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I grew up swimming at altitude. I think that did help tremendously. There were a lot of good swimmers when I was coming out of high school that did well in the NCAAs. So, I mean, I guess VO2 max probably to a degree, yeah. Mm. Did I mean, you grew up in, what, Denver, right? Yeah. Um, did you hike? Or did you do anything out of the pool that would, would have helped your, you know, VO2 max capacity in any way? No, but I learned that the less you kick, the longer you can survive in a set. And that kind of helped me transition to distance swimming. So getting away from like a 6B kick and learning how to do like a 2 or a 4B kick. And it's something I, I find it's not really taught a lot among swimmers. And that's something that I teach when I do swim clinics is like the difference between a two and an eight beat kick and kind of how to balance your stroke with either of them and everything in between. I think that helps tremendously help you move up and down the spectrum. What it doesn't matter what you want to do. Right. I like how you said you were taught by swimmers. I never thought of it that way before. That That's interesting to, to think that, you know, you were taught technically well from a young age and and you do have um a technically beautiful stroke did you spend time a lot of time watching video at all um, of yourself or competitors or anything like that when i was young i loved to watch thorpe stroke i loved his freestyle above and below the water I, i've never really seen anyone who could move like him mm. so i don't know try to emulate some someone like him or phelps had a really good long freestyle up front so i i do like to watch some people's strokes and some people's strokes are painful to watch and I don't admire them. So <laughs> get both ends of the spectrum, but those are the swimmers I, I tend to look at. Yeah. Thorpe was pretty easy on the eye when it came to looking at his freestyle, his gorgeous freestyle for sure. Uh, and and that's an interesting comparison because I do like in the way that you swim, the way that you feel the water too, and Ian Thorpe. So it's pretty interesting um, the correlation there between you two. All right, so then you have this pretty good sophomore year. You come back. You're a little bit neurotic. You're going. You're you're, you're killing practices. Um, I'm looking at your rap sheet again here. In junior year, it just falls off. What exactly mm. happened junior year? Oh, I got too lean. I, so I moved into distance group full time, and I I couldn't keep my weight on. Like I was probably around 205 pounds before the season started, and then at NCAA's I was probably like 188, 189, which is pretty small for a guy my height. And I got too thin and too weak at NCAAs, and I just I couldn't get up for the race. I felt awful. So oh. got a little bit sick, lost too much weight, was on the edge of my nutrition. Didn't work out too well. So is, it, is this part of the, the year where you're just pushing too hard, you think? Yeah, it kind of got worse the next year, too. Really? What do you mean by worse? Are you talking like uh, mental, mentally? Is it, Were you having issues mentally? No, physically, I think I talked to my electrophysiologist. I developed a, an irregular heartbeat, and he thinks with a lot of distance athletes, you can induce atrial fibrillation or other, I guess, ailments that affect the, the rhythm of your heart. So I think that's something that could have probably happened. Oh, wow. So, I, I mean, that's really pretty deep. So were you? what kind of tests were you doing on your heart at this stage? Um, I had one instance in high school of it, and then it, it came back uh pretty frequently once i started doing longer harder sets and then i had an ablation to fix it i think after my senior year and then i never really recovered from that procedure what's that T talk to me about that procedure what is that yeah so an ablation is where you i think they go through an artery or a vein and they try to ablate the part of the heart that's causing the arrhythmia kind of correct itself um, but it can leave residual scar tissue i know my resting heart rate never really recovered from that procedure and i never felt the same after it so my biggest regret in the sport was not putting that off until i retired i wish i had, had wow that's interesting so where do they where do they do it they go through your arm or your leg or something all the way through your groin and then i think they feed up a, a catheter to your heart oh your groin okay now is this is this groin thing is this something that reoccurred your senior year because i know that you had some groin issues at ncaa's your senior year. yeah that so i you know when you come into a wall too tight and you push off too hard you get kind of jammed in there a little bit too much right especially when you're six I, nine yeah i did that on like the last wall of like the first day and I thought I'd pulled my groin. It turns out I ended up tearing my labrums. I found out a few years later, but the pain was identical. Um, so that happened. That that was just a one-off instance. Oh wow, jeez. So, but but uh, so junior, you have that kind of miserable year again, where you don't make finals, and then 
senior year, you turn it all around again. So it's like this roller coaster of, um, you know, your career at, at Texas. Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. Senior year, you, you, you're part of what they term the greatest race in NCAA history, at least um, one of them. You're in this, this mile, and we'll talk a little bit about it. I want to get your perspective here. So it's you, Felix Obach, um, Akram Mahmoud and Jordan Wolomowski. So you you guys swim this um, 1650, and I think all four of you were, there, were in within one second of each other. I was actually on the pool deck at, at this NCAA's watching this race, and um, I'm not uh, generally somebody that's you know fully intrigued by the mile. Let's I'm say, but <laughs> but this one pulled me in. I think it pulled the whole crowd in at some point everybody realized that something special was going on. So when was it for you that you realized something special was going on during this race? I was kind of in my own world. I didn't really realize it was like a five-man race at one point. Um, I knew it was kind of close to the last 10 laps, but I didn't really know what the splits were. I didn't really think we were going that fast. I didn't feel like it. I was just kind of just trying to, I don't know, turn off the switch in my mind and not really think about it that was not a fun experience <laughs> where, where do you feel the pain in the mile aerobically or like like muscular pain i mean both my friend because i'm never going to do one i've never done one and so i'm never going to experience it so you tell me i find that it doesn't really make you that sore like you don't really need to warm down that much after a long race but it makes you more out of breath i've always found for like the tuner free and below like i need to do like a 30, 40 minute warm down, but for a mile, you can just do five minutes and feel fine. So I don't think the mm. intensity is really that bad. All right. So it's more, it's not like you're hitting lactate piece. It's more of just like your, your, um, your circulatory system, you know, your, your, your blood, your lungs, your, you know, your breathing, all that sort of stuff is just punished pretty well. Yeah. It's like being waterboarded for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah nobody wants that well so you said down to the last 10 laps but i mean at some point you know you're in a race and and you want to get your hand on the wall first so when does that kick in for you um i'm not the most experienced distance swimmer i've done less than like 10 miles in my career so i would just usually save up for like the last 100 or 50 <laughs> and just kind of hang on if i could like I, I don't really know how to pace those long races i just don't have the expertise in them so you're holding back then. So you're you're you've got something in reserve on purpose, dude. Always, I'm not gonna gun a mile and just hang on for dear life. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> but when you want to bury your opposition, like if you're if you're a guy that can train really hard and can take work and is genetically gifted, why don't you just put, you know, uh, a 25 on them in the first 500 and then just um, sit on the pace? Well, in that race, I torn my labrum i thought i'd pull my groin so I, it was hard for me to push off the wall so i was just hanging on just doing what i can i think eddie mm. before the race was just like just try and get top three i'm like i'll do what i can mm. right so it was um there wasn't a lot of uh instruction then <laughs> it was just going go and get top three no and the nice thing about swimming for texas is that there's not much pressure on you to, to score a lot of points because I know, at least when I was swimming, we usually win the meet by the second or third day. So the last day was just to kind of enjoy. So there wasn't much pressure, to be honest. But at that meet, this the miles on the last day, you'd already broken the NCAA record in the 500, in what, 408 um, on the first day, right? Yeah. So I was like, if nothing happens in the mile, I still got the 500. It's not a big deal. So just kind of, I don't know, let yourself off the hook. That makes it easy to kind of, I don't know, deal with the intensity. Did you know much about your opposition, these other guys, Jordan, uh, Akram, Felix? Did you know these guys going in and their strengths? No, I did not. Um, I knew Jordan was a good open water swimmer, but I was always like, 
open water swimmers can't swim in a pool. And I was never more wrong about a swimmer in my life. So <laughs> I used to think open water swimming was like a cop out. And Jordan Wilomowski is someone who's changed my mind and someone who's made me take it seriously now. He's a tough dude, man. I've seen that guy train. He can, he can, he can go. And uh, the thing I like about him too, that I, he, he does it on his own too. He pushes himself. He's got like an internal drive. He doesn't need people around him at all. Um, that guy's tough for sure. So that, yeah, you, you knew you had it. But um, so I guess it was just a matter of like, all right, I got a little bit in reserve here and I'm just going to um, hammer the last 50 and get my hand on the wall first. Yeah, just try not to damage my body as much as I can and just survive the race. So I didn't really think it was going to be that close, though. Now, you did need some help out of the pool. I remember Eddie coming over. You're laying on the pool deck, and Eddie comes over and picks you up and takes you to the, the dais. I mean, was it that bad at that point? Yeah, I was feeling some grinding in, like, my hip socket, which would have been the torn cartilage. Um, but it felt like I just pulled my groin, so I didn't think it was that bad and that serious. But yeah, I was limping around campus a few days after that race. Did you have to have an operation after that? No, thankfully not. Um, but they're still torn, so we'll see what happens. Wow, just punished yourself. Now, after our senior year, I guess, well, I, I guess before this, you, you'd already made the Olympic team. So before your senior year, we kind of skipped over the 2016 Olympics. You make the Olympics for the first time, go to, to Rio and swim in the morning of the 800 free relay and you got a couple of your Texas buddies are part of that relay. You guys end up winning the gold medal. Um, how'd you feel about your performance in Rio? At the time, I didn't really think much of it because I thought I was going to have the best shot to make it in like a 400 or a mile. And then I made it on a relay, which had a chance of meddling. So I was like, oh, well, I guess this is a better trade-off, shorter event. I don't know, more notoriety in a relay. So that was an interesting experience, especially with that incident that happened at the end of the the games oh yeah yeah well you you weren't there at that point were you no i went to bed <laughs> you could have easily been part of that group then i guess i think about that a lot <laughs> you do yeah I, I could have gotten roped into that and luckily i'm just kind of a loser who goes to bed early so <laughs> When did you hear about the incident? When did it first uh, make news to your ears? Uh, the morning after, I think we'd heard that they got robbed, and I was like, that sucks. And then uh, I'd gone, I'd gone back early because you have the option to stay the next week and watch events, and I was like, nah, I'm going to go home. So I'm doing, like, curls and, like, a lifetime fitness, and I see Jack and Gunnar on TV, and I'm like, I know those guys. <laughs> but, I mean, it sucked for them. But looking back, it, I guess you can kind of laugh at it maybe you know those guys do they look back and laugh at it now yeah i think so but i think at the time it was pretty detrimental just to your image especially when you want to make money in the sport when you leave college so yeah kind of sucked it was kind of just a strange situation yeah yeah now listen so you know senior years 17 uh we're in 22 now when did you end up kind of calling it quits completely on your career about a year ago from now, um, I did a taper meet, didn't really do that well. Um, this would have been three years after my ablation. Didn't really get back to the times I was pre-operation. So realized I hit a wall and then just called it quits. I didn't really think it was worth going into trials if you don't think you're performing at your best because that's a hard meet to end your career at. I've seen it and I wanted to avoid that. So I realized I'm just not there anymore. So it was right. an easy decision. Um, I think it's harder when you're closer like if you get third at trials, I think it's a very difficult decision to, you know, if you want to keep going or walk away, but I wasn't even close. So it was like, eh, no big deal. Yeah. What about a guy like Townley Haas who's just made the decision to kind of call it quits at 25 and the, and the career he's had, you've, you've been a training partner of his and a teammate. Um, what'd you feel about that decision? I don't know. Some guys get ready to move on. I know the post-grad group at Texas was shrinking and it's, it's hard to train with that group because, you know, they're separated from the college team a lot and it's a lot of training alone and it's easier to burn out when you don't have someone next to you. So he's also getting married soon. Some guys just want to move on. So he's had a great career. I mean, first, he's, he's still American record holder in the tuner free or 129.4. That's yeah. fast as shit. Jesus. It's part yeah. of my language. Yeah, it is quick. Very quick. Um I, I actually don't know how quick that is. I mean, because I'd never swam a 200 at that speed and that level. Is 
I'm sorry, I should have been talking to you here. Is is 128 realistic or is 129 just off the chart? I mean, 129.1 is the record now. So, I mean, it's right. inevitable. Uh, maybe Karen Smith will probably break it against NCAAs. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I didn't really think it'd ever get to be that point when I was a freshman or sophomore. I think 132 is winning it. So it's definitely improved drastically compared to you know, the long course race. Where did you feel more comfortable in yards in the in the 200, the 500, or the mile? Unfortunately, I felt like the 500 and the thousand came easier to me. The 200 free just it was just too short and too hard. I couldn't accelerate. I got long arms. It takes me forever to get my speed going, and then you had a turn, and I got to reset. Was there never a time where you thought, "Hey, maybe I'll put on some muscle here. Maybe I, you know, bulk up. Maybe I'll hit sprint group a little bit." Did you ever have those thoughts? I always wanted to, but I developed a little bit of Stockholm syndrome with my workouts and I didn't want to move down. I, I remember Eddie saying once you can't expect to get better by doing less. And I took that too literally. I'm like, well, I literally can't do less yardage than the year previously and expect to improve, which is not the right outlook to have. But that's just kind of where I was. I was a bit, a little, a bit neurotic when I was swimming. What are, what are some of the other things that you did that you would label as neurotic? Did you record all your workouts? Did you uh, add up the amount of yardage you were swimming and things like that? It was just like little things. Like if I saw myself hit a split, like if we we're doing like a set of 100s and I went a certain time, I wouldn't let myself go slower than that. So, I mean, you get to a point where you just end up descending everything or just holding a, a pace that's a bit too hard and then kind of bury yourself into the ground. It works well mm. when you're like 18, 19, 20, but I think once you get a little older, you have to be a bit smarter with how you train. Was it, what did you do for recovery then in between? How did you recover between workouts? I, I didn't. Like I, I, we'd have sets called 20, 20, 20. Um, I think Eddie is revered for it, at least among the Texas guys, because it's a 20-minute kick, a 20-minute pull, and a 20-minute swim. And I look back. And I decided to do workouts instead of doing those. And I'm like, why Why didn't I just take the recovery day? Oh, so that was kind of labeled a recovery day, the 20-20-20? Or just like any set. Like I remember one day we were given like three 1200s easy. And I was breaking like 11 minutes on all of them. And I'm looking back and I'm like, I, I was just an idiot. Why did I do that? <laughs> why did you do that? I don't know. I don't think my lane mates like me very much. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're just you're just holding a standard. Then you're just like I'm going hard in everything, and I'm not backing down. It wasn't really like I need to be tough. It's like I need to do this to get better, or or else I'm going to feel a lot of guilt. Really, that that is almost like. Um, it, it feels or it sounds like almost like an eating disorder. It really does, doesn't it? Oh, I didn't have that, but no, no, yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying it sounds like, feels like that, you know, it's the, it's the same compulsiveness. Yeah. But it's, it's a healthier outlet. I think for the most part, I definitely ate a bit too much of anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not saying those two were the same. I'm just saying in terms of like compulsively working out at that type of level, that is a compulsion, right? Yeah. And, and I still swim now, but I don't look at the clock anymore just because I know it's, not going to be helpful to me. It's kind of like if you're anorexic, you probably wouldn't want to count your calories in a way. Right. You know, someone who has had anorexia and now, now is learning how to eat differently and, and healthier for someone like you who goes to the pool now, is it very difficult for you not to look at the clock? Um, well, I swim open water now, so there is no clock and I swim without a watch. So I, I kind of have to shield myself from it. Wow. So I'm healing in a way. Right, right, yeah. Okay, sounds like it's a process. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment or they can provide you with a complete timing solution including deck harnesses, buttons and starter. SST is fully compatible with HiTech and Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more and be sure to tell them I sent you. Well, listen, man, it's, uh, from what I know of you, you're, you've taken a new direction in life and 
Sounds like you're uh, headed to kind of the Marines. Talk to me about this. So I'm a candidate for officer candidate school. So I'm, nothing is guaranteed for me. I went in January, but I caught COVID. So they sent me home and rolled me over to the next class. They have like two or three classes a year. I think the next one is in June. And it's a 10-week course. And if I can make it through, I'll have a job and be a big boy, which will be a change of pace. Why did you decide to go Marines? Military was something I always wanted to do. And I think to a degree, it, it, it will probably be familiar in a way just with, you know, having a community that you're with day in, day out, physically training, camaraderie to a degree is something I would, I would see within that line of work. And it's, I don't know, I, I, like I said, I'm a bit neurotic and I think that would bode well for the lifestyle. Yeah. When I think of Marine, I don't think of somebody that's six foot nine. Is that a hindrance to you? Have they talked to you about your height at all? Uh, well, as far as they know, <laughs> uh, I'm six foot six. <laughs> so what happens when they measure you out? They already have. Oh, they have. Okay. And I think there's like medical waivers you can get. If you get over a certain score on a physical fitness test, they'll waive you. But I didn't know that at the time. So I slouched when they measured me. So <laughs> that was my solution at the time. <laughs> so even, even in your own mind, you thought that this could be kind of something that would work against you. For sure. But I mean, I mean, you do what you can. <laughs> Took your shoes off, slashed down a little bit. So hopefully no one in the government watches this video. <laughs> <laughs> listen man i'm sure they would want you in terms of um you know your work ethic and the way that you can um latch onto a task i mean you sound like a perfect candidate for marine to me so uh when you when you look at the qualifications or maybe some thing, the standards you know what, what are things that you do attach to yourself in in being a marine what, what are some of those other attributes you think I think just being well put together, like obviously they have the aesthetic to a degree, but also, you know, being held to a certain standard. Um, mm -hmm. You're not allowed to mess up to a degree. You can't get DUIs. I mean, you have to be a certain type of person to be in, which I mean, I guess self-betterment would be a part of, I guess, part of the allure. Right, right. Do you know any other Marines? Not currently at the moment. I mean, I know Jack Roach was former Marine. He talked right. to me a bit about his experience and mm -hmm. just a few people along the way. Mm -hmm. and I also think of the Marines as kind of like the, the first line, you know, the people that go in and, and do the, the dirty stuff or the hard stuff or whatever it is. I mean, have you thought about that aspect of it too? I mean, obviously you have, um, why is that appealing to you? I just, always had a feeling I was cut out to do it and I could be completely wrong. So I'll, I'll wait and see if I I'm cut from that cloth, but it's something I, I feel like I can handle for the most part. And I'd always love to have the opportunity to represent my country, you know, outside of the sport too. Mm, right. Kind of pay back the things that, you know, I got to experience from it. They paid my way to go to the Olympics and I'd love to pay it back. Right. Makes sense. You're definitely a patriot. There's no doubt. Um, have you done any other type of training to get ready for um, the program you're going to go through? Um, well, I, my officer selection officer, my recruiter in a way, um, just gave, gave me a good running program, which let me tell you, that is worse than any distance swimming race <laughs> you could ever do, any kind of running race. Yeah. yeah, yeah, running is not fun. Do you have to run with like a pack on as well? Eventually, the basic physical fitness test, you do like a set of pull-ups and run like a 5K or a three-mile run, which a three-mile run sounds more intimidating than a three-mile swim to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For a swimmer? Yeah. <laughs> Especially somebody that one of the fastest milers in history in swimming. Yeah, the, the run sounds awful. Um, and then yeah, I guess you don't, you don't do it in Nikes either. You do it in a pair of boots. You do that in pair of running shoes but eventually i think you get to a point where you do a bunch of rucks where you have like weighted bags and boots but i don't really know much i think i'm going to learn more along the way and just get yelled at if i don't so we'll see what happens <laughs> when you look back on your swimming career what are the things that you're most proud of um being able to pick myself up when i kind of fell down and i fell down a lot i had a lot of bad races but i you know 
it's always easy to forget them when you had a couple good ones after the fact. Yeah. I mean, uh, are you, I mean, you're obviously proud of representing your country at the Olympics too. Is that something that, um, you felt like you, I mean, was that a dream of yours from a young kid? Is that something that you felt like you accomplished because you had this dream from a young age? Yeah. I I'd always had the goal of wanting to make an Olympic team. And <clears throat> if I thought I, I was ever going to make one, I thought it would be, you know, in a relay, your best shots, you know, making top six. So I was fortunate enough to make it and to go and I'm just lucky, honestly. Yeah. Good stuff, man. You think if you had children in the future, you'd want them to be swimmers? I don't know. That's a good question. I, there is something to be said about having kids worry about living up to their expectation of their parents. And mm. I sometimes wonder, you know, what that would be like. Did you ever Especially feel that? Um, to a small degree. And uh, then I wonder what it's like, you know, uh, being a child of like a star athlete, like LeBron James or like the kind of pressure that you have on you, even when it's not put on you by your parents. I don't know if I'd want to put that on my kid, even if it'd be to a way lesser degree. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you keep your Olympic gold medal? Um, well, I think it's in a box somewhere in storage. The ribbon broke off it. Cause I think a lot of chlorine got to it in some camps <laughs> so somewhere you gotta look after those things man you definitely gotta look after them they don't like you know they don't last forever you think it's just gonna look the way it looks forever and i've seen these medals like 20 years on and it doesn't look anything like it because everybody's touched it and dropped it and all sorts of things so yeah, yeah definitely. I, I don't really want to be defined by you know swimming I'm, I'm glad it was you know a large part of my life for the first 25 years of my life but i'm ready to do something else and I know the metal is just a trinket for the most part. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're headed to do something um, very honorable. So good luck with um, that. And looking forward to keep working with you at Fitter and Faster and doing some more clinics up until that point. But, um, you know, thanks for all the great memories of watching you race, man. It's been a lot of fun, right? Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, Clark. You too. Event, heat, lane name of swimmer times and places it's called swim nerd live and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart tv phone or other device there are so many things you can do with this software a very simple and easy to use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results one click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.